0: Welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. And today we'll be wrapping up Season 4 of this podcast. I'm not sure if this will be the final episode exactly, or one of the final episodes, but we're reaching the end of Season 4. And for those who are not aware, uh, Season 4 has been all about going back to all the different types of content and topics and things that have been discussed throughout the entirety of this podcast, which has been quite a lot, and I have grouped that into... Topics, time periods, that kind of thing, and looked at them from a fairly macro perspective, but one that still is detailed enough and uh, gets into a lot of the different aspects of how things work, why things are the way they are, what's going on in society, where we are headed, where we have been, history, conspiracy, all kinds of things and tying all of that kind of stuff together. And that has been season four. We've progressed on to this point. And uh, the previous episode that I did last week talked about various ways of, I guess, various strategies and methods for uh, how to operate in this world that we live in. Basically, the the systems that we live under are largely immoral and corrupt. There are a lot of problems in the world. We don't necessarily uh, like the way that the world runs and that our culture is headed and all of these kinds of things. And so you know, what is your response? And so I covered various ways of responding to that from a parallel society perspective. So things like agorism and the parallel polis the early church, uh, various examples and strategies and things like that, ideologies that relate to um, how you act and how uh, you could apply these methods and strategies to actually succeed in living in a better way and participating in the system less and building out something better. And so that was more of the theory behind it. And now I want to talk about in this episode how to apply that and what that looks like. And I want to use the real-world examples of things that I have been associated with and uh, talk about what those are. So that would be, number one, an agorist group, a group of individuals that are like-minded, that meet together and do things together and are associated in that way. And then, number two... There is a a project that's going on that's getting off the ground now called the Agora, and that involves lots of different things from ministry to a food club to some other educational aspects. And so I'll talk about what that is and how that's structured as well. And so the one thing to keep in mind throughout all of this is that, unfortunately, To operate in the way that we would prefer, through a voluntarist approach, Uh, a lot of the things that we would be okay with, where we think that everybody has free will, they can act according to their own free will, as long as they don't cause harm to somebody else, and we should love one another and appreciate each other and help each other, these kinds of things. Sometimes, when you act in that way, you're acting illegally. There are a lot of laws and regulations that prevent people from interacting strictly in that way. And instead they regulate that you should act in a certain way, that you should interact with others in a certain way. You should transact with others in a certain way. You have to have certain entities, certain documents, certain licenses, certain things that you must do in order to comply with this gigantic list of laws that no one even knows what they are. And so when you are trying to apply these parallel society methods and strategies, you have to be very careful not to do them in a way that attracts uh, the attention of the, say, the feds or local authorities or whoever, some agency. You don't want to attract their attention, number one. Number two, you want to make sure that if you do attract their attention, you are not doing things that are outright illegal. Now, I can give the caveat that. If someone wants to do stuff that's just completely illegal and they believe that the law is immoral and unjust and they should be able to do XYZ and they're going to do it anyway and they want to sideskirt the law or find some random legal loophole, that's, that's outside of the bounds of what I am talking about today. What I am talking about is how do you apply the parallel society approach without transgressing on the law? So how do you do it in a legal fashion? but also in a fashion that does not get you involved with the system and the regulations and these kinds of things. And there are ways to do that. So these are things like PMAs and 508C1A ministries and trusts and uh, unincorporated associations. All different kinds of things like this can be used to operate in this way. And so the the first thing that I would talk about would be getting like-minded people together. And in my opinion, this is one of the most important aspects to building out a parallel society, a society that operates on a voluntarist basis based on free will and love and treating others the way you would be treated, the nap, so to say, if you're libertarian, these types of approaches, how do we apply that? And the number one thing is that, well, first, you got to get together, you got to find other people, and you have to create some sort of community around like-minded people that are interested in living in this parallel society. You can say you're in a parallel society all day long on your own homestead and you can live it out, but it's not really going to go anywhere and I wouldn't really call it a society, at least not to any grand scale of any kind. So uh, how do we actually put this into effect in a way that expands to the broader community, the local area, heck, maybe even to an entire state or country You know, you have various examples of things that did spread, such as the fall of the Soviet Union. And one of the Vaklovs that I mentioned, I forget which one, Vaklov Benda or Vaklov Havel Uh, One of them ended up becoming the president of one of the countries that split away from the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union fell. And their movement of the parallel polis in Charter 77 was part of what aided the Soviet Union in falling and part of what remained when it fell to pick up the pieces and take the place and jump into that power vacuum. And so... There are definitely examples of these types of things actually working and making a huge difference, even on that kind of grand scale. You could even look at Christianity, for example. You could say pre-Constantine Christianity, where it, it became a pretty big deal just after about 100 years, and that was completely with a parallel society approach. And then they changed approaches and there were lots of issues with that, and it was still successful in its own right. But uh, that is not where I'm going, because we're st- strictly talking about the parallel society approach. Now, the like I say, the first thing is about getting community. And so the question would be, well, how do I do that? This is a practical episode, not one just on uh, philosophy or anything like that. So but what you need to do is have a way for people to find you. Today, that is mostly digital, but there are also physical options as well. So, The approach that I would personally recommend would be freedomcells.org. That was how our local agorist group got started. And unfortunately, that website is a little clunky, and it's definitely not ideal in many ways, but it is a start. And you can search on a map for like-minded individuals in your area. You can create a cell, a freedom cell, and um, that's something you can do strictly online at first. And then if you get people that join, you get connected, maybe you go meet up one time and expand from there so that is one option Another decent option would be meetup.com. Meetup is a platform for people meeting up. There are lots of different clubs and groups and things like that that are on Meetup. We have a local one that's a blockchain group. We have a local homestead and gardening group. We have uh, the Agorist group. We've got lots of different groups um, on Meetup that you could find there. And that's somewhere where someone's going to Meetup and they're looking for a local group in their area and they see, hey, these these folks over here look like they're you know, my kind of people. I want to see what's going on there. They read the description. Oh, yes, this sounds good. I'll go. I'm going to check it out and they can get plugged in. So that is one option. You also have Facebook groups. I know plenty of people in the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the libertarian, voluntarist, agorist, whatever communities that are on Facebook and do that successfully and have their own groups. Uh, Even some of the big names do that on that platform. I personally am not a big fan, and I doubt any of you listeners are either of Facebook, but it is a tool that can be used, and it can be used in a very similar way. So if someone's searching for, say, libertarian groups near Louisville, Kentucky, then uh, you might have a libertarian group that's a Facebook group that pops up in their area if if they live in Louisville, Kentucky. And you could do that with uh, various different things. So another strategy... Um, aside from these platforms that I've mentioned, freedomcells.org, Meetup, and Facebook would be, I guess, the the big ones that I would call out. But another strategy would be to uh, somehow feed people in. So what you can do is say that you are interested in all the things I've talked about on this podcast. So you're interested in cryptocurrency and alternative payments. You're interested in homesteading and growing your own food and natural, real food. You're interested in maybe theology and Christianity, and that's something you're into, uh, whatever it is. You have all these different things that you're interested in, and all of those combine to form the worldview that you have and the mission that you want to fulfill in this world with your life. And so what you could do is if you have the time and you're interested in going to this extent, you could have various groups around these various subjects and you could post them on these various platforms. So you might have a Bible study that meets up once a month. You might have a homesteading group that meets up once a month, maybe a separate gardening group that meets up, maybe a separate libertarian group or political, um, not theology, um, political philosophy group that meets up and you could have all of these various groups. And then out of those groups, as you start to get to know people, people start coming, they start to get a little established. Then maybe you find people that are much more like-minded and you start to bring them in to a more like-minded community. That would be an option. It's, it's a lot to do. And I don't know if I would recommend that one, but it is one that could work. So another strategy would be in person. You can go to the local farmer's Markets. That's a really big one. So at the farmer's market, you are often going to find people that are like-minded. Now, it's not to say that everyone there is like-minded by any stretch, but people that are like-minded with us, with things like agorism, voluntarism, these types of things... They often like to support farmers markets and like to participate in farmers markets. So they'll often be at least one or two vendors that are like-minded, as well as customers that want to support local folks and eat healthy food. Uh, you're going to get a lot more overlap in that crowd. So the farmer's market is a good place to go. Another really good one is to search for groups or classes or meetups or things like this in your area that are slightly related, at least, if not directly related. So you've got Libertarian Party groups that meet up. Now, personally, I'm not an advocate of the party politics, even Libertarian Party, but you're going to find plenty of like-minded people there. You've got uh, self-defense classes or shooting classes or range days, things like that. The defense community is very, very tied in with these types of things as well. It's self-sufficiency. It's taking care and defending yourself. You've got the prepper community, and there might be classes on prepping or even just things like how to can and how to preserve your food and how to do these kinds of things. Maybe building simple shelters, starting fires in the wilderness, emergency medical medical care. All of these types of preparedness uh, types of fields. These are ones where you're going to find like-minded people as well. So uh, you can then expand that to all the different things I've talked about. You got gardening. You've got cryptocurrency. You've got uh, some of the Christian crowd. You've got lots of different types of people, lots of different aspects that you could connect with. You could find classes and workshops and meetups and groups and all these kinds of things within these types of areas, and from that, you're probably going to find quite a few people that are like-minded. And so you could recruit, so to say, on an in-person level and bring people in, and that could be something that funnels people into a a true community of like-minded people, a true, let's say, agorist community. So that's another option. Now, what I will go on to say from here would just be the personal Uh, I guess the personal experience that I've had a very short version is that we did start a group on freedomcells.org. We had probably 10 or 15 folks that joined. Only a few of them were local. We decided to go ahead and meet up one day. This was about a year and a half ago and have dinner somewhere. So we did. We met at a Mexican restaurant. We ended up having, I guess, probably three or four folks from the Freedom Cells website that showed up. And then there were also three or four folks that that either I knew or it was people that were friends of people that I knew. And so we, we had this uh, strange conglomerate of folks there that was seven or eight of us. And uh, we were all very like-minded. And it was a really good time. We had um, a lot of good conversation, that kind of thing. And we decided, hey, let's do this again next month. And that continued on until a few months in, we had 20-something people just from Word of Mouth and Freedom Cells And we moved to renting a space and we just split up the cost. Everybody started bringing a few dollars cash each month and that pooled together, paid for the event space rental. And it was actually a space that one of the people in the group knew a lady that rented that space and they gave us a really good discount. So that was really cool. And um, that is where the group started to meet and it started to expand. I did create a face or not a Facebook, a meetup page for the Agorist group. And so I was reaching out uh, in that way as well. We ended up creating a website, the Chattanooga Voluntary Society, if you're interested in checking that out. That is the public-facing, I guess, website for the Agorist group, so to say. And that can also funnel people in. If someone's searching for homesteading or cryptocurrency or homeschooling or any of these things uh, paired with the area that we're in, the greater Chattanooga area, Chattanooga, Tennessee, then uh, you could probably find the Chattanooga Voluntary Society pop up somewhere pretty early on in the search results. So that can be something that draws people in. And then also, if we have an event or something like-minded that's going on, someone in the group is having an event, maybe. We had someone do a self-defense class a little while ago, and we posted that on the website. Then we have somewhere where we can direct people to, where you could say, oh, we're on Meetup. Oh, we're on Freedom Sales. Oh, we're on Facebook. Oh, we're on this, that, and the other. Or you could just say, hey, go to our website, and it's all there. And that seems to be a much more direct way of approaching it, which, in my opinion, is a much better way of approaching it. So for us, once we got the group established and we were meeting every month and that kind of thing, we wanted to get a little more involved We wanted to grow this out a little more and become more involved with each other and set up something that was a little more established. And we had started the group around meeting for dinner. And so we continued that where we're doing a potluck every single month. And it would be anybody interested would come. We'd have a potluck. We would get to know each other, talk, hang out, that kind of thing. And so what we ended up doing was, number one, start the website that I mentioned, but number two, we started having presentations at each meetup. And so we'd do the potluck, and then someone in the group or someone related to the group that's like-minded would come in and would give a talk. We've had Nicole Sauce come in and give a talk. Um, Another guy that lives locally that has a raw milk dairy and does a lot of different classes on self-reliance and stuff. He's coming in to give the talk actually next month. And then we've had many of the members in the group give talks on the different things that they're good at and that they know a lot about. So we had one on, I guess, roughly herbalism and making fire cider with a little demonstration that was in the wintertime. So that was very fitting. We've had one on cryptocurrency. We've had one on communications was the last one with various radios and the different types of alternative communication and things like that. We've just had a wide array, one on soil health and gardening, just all kinds of stuff because we've got... This group of people that has a lot of skills. And so if we can share some of those skills, that's kind of one of the whole points of getting together. So we have done that. And that's our established monthly meetup. But we also have a platform that's separate for communication. Because communication is very important as well. We want to share when we see a video or a good podcast or an article or bits of information. Or maybe we just want to chat with each other, that kind of thing. So there are a few different platforms that one could use. You could do like a Telegram or... Signal or something like that that is very secure at least somewhat secure and somewhat private and those are decent options But those are more like a long-running chat room and that's it Whereas there are some others like discord would be one although their policies are not quite as friendly to uh, our like-minded folk as they once were Uh, Gilded is another one that has friendlier policies and it's a lot like discord, but There's um, the other one, what's it called? Element, I believe it is. And that one is not quite as user-friendly, but it is similar. And with all of these, what you can do is you start a server. So you start kind of a main hub. And within that, you can have multiple different rooms. So think of them as like forums. And so you can have various forums, so to say, that are topical. And then when people come in, they can see all these different topics that... You can talk about. So, like for ours, we might have one for, I think, when someone first joins for ours, it's limited in what you can see and you can set those settings up. And I think all of these different platforms. But when someone first comes in, there's like a new chat area where someone can introduce themselves and ask a few questions, say a few things. Then there is, I guess, like a macro connect section for folks that might not be local in the area, but still want to chat, communicate, keep up, that kind of stuff. And there's an announcements section, or I guess a billboard section, and uh, we post announcements there, we post our monthly meetup with all the details there, all that kind of stuff. And for the most part, anybody can see those things. And then once someone has come to one of the in-person meetups, then we grant them wider access where we upgrade their status on the platform that we use, and they can then see all the different channels. And so we have one on homeschooling, one on animal husbandry, one on gardening, one on self-defense, one on uh, even things like comedy. And we had to break apart multiple COVID channels because over the past two years, that's been a pretty big deal, and it was eating up all the channels. So we have COVID media, we have COVID news, we have COVID I don't know what else. And we've got all these different channels. So we probably have two dozen channels total. And there are all these different subjects. And then when someone has something they want to talk about or something they want to share or something that they want to ask then they know where to go and they can do that. And it's, it really helps to facilitate the group to connect with one another uh, other than that one time a month or the one or two people you might know personally from the group. And so that's really helpful. There have been many times when someone needed help or when someone was offering something or someone had something to sell or trade or whatever, they can post it on there, everyone sees it, and then they can usually take care of whatever it is they need to take care of. We also do, uh, I guess, so for other things with the group, we've got the website, we've got the monthly meetups, we've got the platform where we can communicate. But we also have tried to do from the get-go group projects. We haven't been extremely... I guess, consistent with that. The, the first probably six months or so after we moved to the event space that we rent and we were an established group, I should say, probably 20 something people or more, then we were doing some group projects for the next like six months or so. And we hadn't really done very many since. So uh, we're working on it. We've tried. We've done a few here and there. But ideally, we would have a group project every month or every other month. And people would get together from the group, whoever's available, and maybe put in some raised garden beds. Or we built a sheep stall one day. Or made some mushroom logs one day. Or... Go to the shooting range. There's some folks that did that. There's just all different options, but um, I guess shooting range isn't really a group project. But you've got the group projects where you work together, but you also have, I guess, kind of the fun outings where you can get together and do things. And that happens as well. And then we also have this aspect of taking care of one another. And so if someone uh, is in need, if someone's sick... Then we've got doctors in the group. We've got people that can cook meals and bring them to them. We have people that can go pick stuff up for them if they need it. We have all kinds of people that can do all kinds of things. We've even walked people's dogs and done random things like that. And so uh, being able to do this is something that enables a parallel society to exist and to start and to form. And this is what you need. You need that community. You need that community to be connected. You need them to build relationships and get to know each other. And then you need to actually use those things and those connections and that networking to help one another and to live life together. And so uh, that is, I guess, probably where I'll stop this aspect of the agorist group and uh, this is somewhat my experience with the my own agorist group in my area, but it also could be your experience. I've tried to give many different examples of all the different aspects so that you can use what fits for you. So even if you think that there aren't very many like-minded people around you, which for me, for example, I didn't think there were all that many. There ended up being a whole lot more than I thought. And you've got people from the left who have come in and kind of woken up. You've got people from the conservative right that have woken up to the immoralities and corruption of statism and want to jump out of that. You've got libertarians, you've got anarchists, you've got agorists, you've got all kinds of folks out there. And I know, well, I can almost guarantee you that there are some near you. So if you put yourself out there, if you put, say, the group name out there, it doesn't have to be yourself personally then you can try to attract those people or go out and get them in person. Or I tried to give lots of examples of how you could do this, but pursue it somehow so that you can start to engage with other like-minded people, get people connected, and really get the foundation for the parallel society set up. We've also made connections with groups and individuals in Atlanta and Nashville and South Carolina all over the place around us locally, Kentucky, lots of different places. And in doing so, we might be able to facilitate things that would not be possible just within our very small local group, Uh, very small as in like uh, regionally, all within about two hours of each other from one end to the other. But once we expand out and make these connections with other like-minded people in these surrounding regions, then that does open up even more possibilities. So that's very helpful as well. Now, that is, I guess, kind of more of the community aspect of things. Now, I want to shift into the other side of things. So, when you have a society, it's not just about the community. It's not just about the people. It's not just about getting to know each other and doing things together. You also need an economy. You need commerce. You need trade. You need these kinds of things. And so, there's also this more business aspect There, uh, for me personally, is also a religious aspect. For me, I am a Christian, and I have certain values because of that. I follow the biblical principles of loving one another, of living in line with the natural order of things, of staying out of institutions, away from individuals that are evil and immoral and on the dark side of things. And so because of all of this, I have a religious push to get out of the system and operate in a parallel society. I I have a religious motivation for that because I believe that that is the way to live out the Christian faith. I see that in the scripture. I've done episodes on specific scriptures that talk about that, as well as the example of the early church, the original church. That was their strategy as well. So I think I have the historical aspects of that, plus the scriptural aspects of that, plus even going back to the Old Testament, the theological aspects, got many different things to back that up. But there is that religious component as well, as well as the economic component. And so between the three, at least from my personal worldview, uh, those are the things that would make up A parallel society that I would have a strong desire to be in and be a part of and push for. It would be something that would be in line with all of those three things and include all three of those things. So, we again have the community aspect of it locally for ourselves. We are building the economy aspect of this and doing so through a religious aspect. And so that's kind of cool. And uh, I guess I can give a rough overview. So We're not, we have not done this yet. We are still in the stages of setting this up. So, because of that, I can't really give you exact details because I'm not quite sure what they all are, but we have a very good rough idea of what's going on here. So, what we are doing is using a few different techniques such as PMAs, 508 C1As, trusts, and There might be one or two others. I can't think of what they would be, though. So uh, let's just start off with how this is. So what we are focusing on is uh, building out the parallel society. So what I am doing is setting up a, a ministry that is all about setting up the Parallel Society, and I have the, the framework for that, my beliefs for that, where they come from, the scripture, all those things written up. I've got articles of association, I've got bylaws, and uh, these are all being done under code, what is it, section 508C1A. So, that is in the IRS tax code when you look at the typical nonprofit corporation, and most churches now are filing under the nonprofit corporation status, which there are plenty of arguments for why that should not be the way it is, but that is. However, there is a section, and this is section 508, specifically 508. 508- um, if you go through the code, let me go through the code just roughly off the top of my head, at least. Um, so 508A says that you basically have to file to exist. You have to tell the state, they have to give you approval so that you can be a nonprofit. And then B says that if you do not file or report, then they will presume that you are a private foundation and that is under different code with different regulations. Now, that's that's 501 Eight, or sorry, that's 508A and then 508B. 508C is labeled exceptions. And under exceptions, the first one says mandatory exceptions. And under this is 508C, one mandatory exceptions. Then you have A and B. And under mandatory exceptions, it says that subsections A and B shall not apply to, and if you remember, A and B was the filing and reporting and asking permission, and if not, you're considered a private foundation. Those things don't apply to, A, churches, their integrated auxiliaries or conventions or associations of churches, or B, any organization which is not a private foundation and the gross receipts of which in each taxable year are normally not more than $5,000. And so those are the two options. Uh, So if you hear the term 508C1A, that's saying that it's under these mandatory exceptions that the reporting requirements do not apply to churches, their integrated auxiliaries, auxiliaries and conventions or associations of churches. So, getting back to my example here, what I am doing is setting up a ministry that is under that exception, and it is uh, by IRS definition, they would call that a church. There is no IRS definition for a faith based organization or a ministry or any other term like that, but there is for a church. And they have 14 points, and you need to meet at least a certain number of those points. And they have all the different things that they believe a church should be. And uh, this ministry will hit the majority of all those points. It will be a ministry, it will be a real thing. We'll have Teaching, we'll have meetings and congregations, we'll have outreach programs and ministries, we'll have all kinds of things like that. So it will function as a as a church, but I guess more of as a ministry than what you would think of as a standard church. But that is what we are setting up, and it is under 508C1A. Now, with this, you, if you remember in that code, 508C1A says churches or their integrated auxiliaries. And so that would mean that if the church has a project or a ministry that is an auxiliary of the church, so let's say a food kitchen or a men's ministry or a missionary outreach or any of these things, if it was a separate thing, but it spawned from the church and is integrated with the church, then that could also fit under the 508C1A exceptions from filing and not having to report anything. So... With the ministry that we are setting up, it will have uh, either one or two auxiliaries from the get-go. We are still debating on how exactly we're going to do this. But uh, at a minimum, there will be a food ministry, and that will be called a food club. And so what this is, is the first step in... Enabling people, members, as well as the general community, to live out the biblical principles of living in line with the natural order. So when you get to that as applies to food, that means that we should be consuming real, natural food. We shouldn't be genetically altering it. We should be treating the animals humanely. We should be good stewards of the earth and taking good care of the planet, not stripping the soil and polluting and poisoning things. We should not be ingesting poisons and toxins that are sprayed on food. That is not what we should be doing. We should be eating things and supporting things and growing things and raising animals in ways that are in line with with the natural order that are in line with biblical principles. We have that mandate. That's one of the original mandates was to be good stewards of this earth. That was one of the main points of humanity, period, is that God created all of everything he created the world and everything in it and placed man there to be in the image of God and to steward all of his creation so that's our role we are to take care of his creation as he would in his stead as his representatives and that extends out to everything and so uh, what we are trying to do with this ministry is ideally have various ministries and projects that focus on a specific area. So again, this one is food. We might have one related to uh, the education of the young. That might be homeschooling. We might have one dedicated to general education. That might be classes and workshops and tours and things like that, festivals, whatever we do. There might be one uh, related to I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but uh, there are there's a whole list that we actually have of possible things that we'll branch out into. But the very first one that we're going to do is the food club, and what that will be will be an association of members. It will be members only, and we will provide basically the facilitation for members to be able to get all of this natural, real, healthy food and uh, do that in a realistic practical manner so right now if someone wants to get raw milk it's difficult it depends on the state you live in some can sell raw milk under pet food laws a a few are perfectly legal to sell raw milk in any circumstances and most of them you have to use a herd share program where you sign up you own a percentage of the herd and as You do, you are entitled to a percentage of the proceeds of that herd of cows, which would be the milk. And so basically you sign an agreement, you sign up to this herd share, and that is a way that you can legally buy or receive milk for your uh, herd share stake. And so there are various ways that people do this, but uh, getting raw milk is one thing. That's one animal in and of itself. Then you also have the aspect of eating vegetables and fruits that are not sprayed with a bunch of poisons and chemicals and that are not GMO and these kinds of things. That can actually be a little hard to get. So you often would have to go to a farmer's market or go to a local orchard that's organic or something like this or you can always just pay a lot more money and go to Whole Foods, but most people can't really afford that for all of their grocery needs. And so uh, most people would maybe go to the farmer's market to get some stuff. They would get some of their meat directly from a farmer. So beef, pork, whatever that's pasture raised, grass fed, uh, no chemicals, no antibiotics, these kinds of things. But then those people under most state laws, they have to sell by the whole, by the half or by the quarter. So you have to at least get a quarter cow or a half cow or a half hog or whatever. So you've got to have these farmers that you're getting your meat from. You've got the market. Um, The farmer's market that you get some of your veggies and some of your stuff from. You got the dairy that you get raw milk from. You still got to go to the store to get all the stuff they don't have. And then when you're eating this way for the average family, it's pricey and you can't really afford to do it that way on everything. So you have to buy some stuff in bulk and get discounts. And so you've got Azure Standard or some other uh, online bulk offerings or co ops or things like that. And so when it's all said and done, you've got five or six different sources just to get your family's food and that's what you really need to do it's either that or you pay, you know, 25 to 50 to 100% more by buying it all at somewhere like Whole Foods and even then you run into your problems because Whole Foods even if they have an organic tomato that's right there and it was grown locally under organic practices well that's great and all, but they did pick that tomato way before it was actually ripe. They pick them when they're still green and then they ripen off the vine. And so that flush of nutrients that comes in at the end of a fruit or a vegetable ripening, it's not there because they already picked it and it's not getting any more nutrients. And so you're not getting that nutrient rent or that nutrient dense food that you would be getting if people actually followed the way things should be done, if they let nature do its natural thing. And so in order to enable people to be able to do this, what we are doing is providing this food club ministry where members can sign up and they will be able to get all of these things at one location. We're going to have grass-fed pasture raised meat of all different kinds. We're going to have eggs, we're going to have raw milk, We're going to have um, a yogurt. We're going to have drinks like kombucha, water kefir, all kinds of things. Basically, we're going to try to have all the staples, all the produce and things like that, as well as some of the bulk things. And the idea is that eventually we'll be able to provide for pretty much all the groceries that a family would need, and they don't have to get involved with the commercial food system, which, again, according to my personal religious beliefs, uh, there are the reasons why I should not be involved with that as much as I can help it because of the immorality, the corruption, the going against the natural order, all of these kinds of things that are not in line with biblical principles. And so what we are doing is providing this food club so that people can actually live and eat and afford to and be able to practically to do these things. And this is not just for members of of the ministry as a whole. It's not just for members of the church, so to say, because that's not the whole point of the church. The whole point of the church uh, biblically, is to reach out to all people. Is to give people that free will decision whether or not they want to be involved, whether or not they want to live according to biblical principles, God's principles, or not. It's it's totally up to them. That's a free will decision. And so, one of the main goals of the church is to reach out to those who have chosen not to follow what God teaches and what the Bible teaches. Like Yeshua said, I. Uh, You know, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick, and that's who he came for, and those are the people that need to be reached out to. There are various verses where, I believe Paul's the main one that talks about how um, it's not that you shouldn't have anything to do with people that are immoral, it's that if someone says they're a Christian and says they're a part of the church and comes to the church, but they're living immorally and they're not repentant and they will not stop, those are the people you shouldn't have anything to do with, but the rest of the world, If you didn't have anything to do with immoral people, you wouldn't have anything to do with anybody. And that's not the point. The point is that you do get involved with the rest of the world, immoral, corrupt, and all of it, on an individual basis, you do not yoke yourself together with them, is the phrasing that's used biblically. So it's not that you participate with them in immoral things. It's not if you broaden this out to an institutional level. Let's say the food system is corrupt and immoral. It's not that you participate in that food system in order to reach people. It's that you still interact with people that are using the food system. You still might use a farm that also sells to Walmart if they are practicing in natural ways and natural growing and organic practices and all these things. And so that's what we're trying to do. The food club is members only, but it's not members of the church, it's members of the food club. So the food club is a separate entity in and of itself. It's an auxiliary of the church and it is an unincorporated PMA, and so a PMA is a private membership association. So it is members only. With that, what that does is it brings all interaction within the food club into the private sphere. So it's like having you over to my house, I can serve you alcohol, I can serve you dinner, my fridge and my kitchen don't have to be inspected, I don't have to meet all these different regulations and get these different licenses, because it's private sphere. I can do those things in the privacy of my own home. So if you extend that out to a broader membership base, then you're extending out those protections and that private sphere interaction. So the catch is that we can't advertise to the public but this isn't a business. We're not advertising anyway. We're doing personal individual outreach. And so we can tell people that, hey, there's this thing. And if you're interested, this is how you sign up. Or people can find us or hear about us other ways and come and ask. But we're not allowed to advertise to the general public or do any dealings with the general public. It is members only. And that's what offers us this aspect of operating in the private sphere. So theoretically, when you're operating in the private sphere, you are outside of the public jurisdiction and outside of most public regulation, so long as that does not include, I forget the phrasing here, but it's something about substantive evil or something like that and basically it's if you're like harming someone as far as like going to kill them or something of that nature then that is considered evil and under case law that is something where they will still come down on you even if you're operating in the private sphere and uh yeah so there's a whole a long list of things you can go into with that. but uh, so there are limitations. you can't do anything, but you are outside of the majority of public regulation. And so when that when you apply that to the food system, that helps out a lot because there's a lot of regulation surrounding food. And so that offers a lot of protections just being a PMA. But on top of that, we are a religious organization. This is a a food ministry. It's an auxiliary of the church. And so we also have those religious protections that we have the freedom of religion. We have the freedom of association. We can come together, associate together, uh, pursue a common goal or interest, and we can live out our religious beliefs and religious principles. And so we have a lot of those protections. But in addition to those, because the state is the state, and the state's going to do what the state's going to do. So we have another layer where the food club itself is an unincorporated PMA made up of members. It has no formal organized structure or a leadership or governance or bank account or anything like that. It is a loose association of members, and that is all it is. So well, let's say that the feds came in and wanted to shut down the food club, and they're going to take the food club to court well, you can't take the food club to court because there is no one that represents the food club. That's not really how this whole thing works. What the food club is, is that association of members. And I guess you could try to find out who all the members are and drag them all to court. But luckily, according to the Supreme Court, uh, if you have a private membership association, you have no requirement to hand over that list of members to the state. That was decided during the civil rights movement. And so... Uh, yeah, that, that offers protections in and of itself, just being this separate, unincorporated association of members. Now, in addition to that, and because it is that, the food club will use another, either another auxiliary of the church or the church itself. We're still not sure exactly which one that'll be. But um, let's say it's another auxiliary of the church whose whole purpose and this whole ministry's purpose, this auxiliary's purpose is to facilitate the building out of the parallel society. And the verbiage will be a little different, but since you know what I'm talking about, I'll keep it short and simple. So that is the purpose of this auxiliary, or that is the purpose of uh, this specific aspect of the church. Again, we're not sure if it's a separate auxiliary or the church itself. Still working out that out. But what that does is it allows food club members to fund an account And this is the way it's going to work on the ground. Food club members fund an account for themselves ahead of time. The uh, food club through the church or the auxiliary of the church that's facilitating this through a facilitator, will then have all of those accounts, all that money collected into various accounts, will hold those finances and uh, provide the financial and administrative services for the food club on behalf of the members, and it will take those funds, go out and purchase all the things for the week. So it'll purchase the milk and the yogurt and the meat and the eggs and all the different things, bring it all in-house to one location, then members can come and pick up their stuff. Now, since members were the ones that paid for the stuff to begin with ahead of time, they all funded their accounts ahead of time, that's the money that was used to purchase the stuff. The stuff's already there, so they're just picking up their stuff. There is no sale going on whatsoever. So uh, because most food regulation involves the sale of food and products, uh, that avoids most of the regulation as well because there is no sale going on there. And instead, it is the food club just getting things through this facilitator and picking it up. And the facilitator is kind of like a Grubhub model where it takes their money, it goes out and gets the stuff, it brings it all together and charges a service fee um, for providing those services. That's pretty much how it works. Or uh, from a ministry point of view it covers its expenses. It's not necessarily a for-profit business or anything like Grubhub, but it does still have expenses. There's gas, there's uh, time, there's all these different things. And so it will cover its expenses and then it will give the food to the food club members because it belongs to them. And so again, when you avoid the sale you avoid most of the regulation. Also, again, if, say, the feds wanted to really crack down, and they have done so in many different uh, situations related to PMAs and food clubs and all these kinds of things. So if they came down and said, oh, you know, facilitator, you are selling this food to these members and we're shutting you down. It's like, well, we're not actually selling any of the food. And so that will give them some issues. But even if they do still try to take us in, uh, basically taking in the church to court for living out biblical principles that they can back up and are written out in their articles of association and their bylaws and their own literature and their teachings, uh, yeah, that's not going to look really good, especially in the Bible Belt where we are. So uh, we believe that structuring it this way will give us the religious protection, the PMA, private sphere protection, the uh, protection from not participating in sales of any food or products. And on top of that, we are trying to figure out currently, we had a long talk with someone today about this, actually, but we're trying to figure out uh, incorporating a trust into this framework. So if there was a trust, then the trust can actually hold assets. And there are various protections that pertain to different types of trusts. There's a million different kinds of trusts. There's public, there's private, there's charitable, there's uh, common law trusts, there's revocable and irrevocable, all these different kinds of things. So uh, personally, we are trying to figure out all of those things and what fits and what works. But if we can have a trust that is somewhere in this structure, then we can get some more protections as well as it might just be a good structure overall for us. It might be for me and my family, or it might be for the ministry. I'm not really sure how that'll work, but we are looking into that. A lot of people that do things like PMAs also do set up trusts and then attach their PMAs to the trust. Sometimes the PMA runs the trust. Sometimes the trust is the facilitator of the PMA. There's lots of different ways that people do this. So we're trying to figure that out. So if we could have the religious protections, the private sphere protections for the PMA, the protections from not having sales, and the protections that come under being under a trust structure, that will be a very, very strong structure. And having that structure will then allow us to also expand. So again, this is one aspect. Say the the food club is... One alternative to the system, it's the alternative to the food system. And it's one that is very good. There's so many different reasons for it. When you have a localized supply chain, let's say there's supply chain issues, or, you know, farms are getting burned down, or regulation is hurting everybody and they can't produce what they need to produce or whatever, things are exported from China, who knows, all these different things, you have problems that come up. And especially in a depression, this is going to get extreme. And so what if we have a dairy we work with, that's 30 minutes up the road. And what if we have multiple people that are growing vegetables for us in market gardens, and we have all of these things? Well, the cows are still in the field, Uh, they're still producing milk. We still have the beef cattle out there that can get processed. The pigs are still growing. They're eating grass. So it doesn't matter what the shortages are. We still have the things. The plants are still growing. And we have a lot more protection. We are not nearly as reliant on the system. And the input costs are much lower when people raise things naturally. So we're not using fertilizer. We're not bringing in wheat and corn and soy. We are not destroying our soil and having to do all the amendments uh, pertaining to that. All of these things. And we are also not operating under most of the public regulation. And so if there are regulatory issues that come up, oftentimes we will be maybe immune to that. It depends on the regulation. Or we might just still be able to operate in some way and have some workarounds and uh, not have that affect us the same way it would a traditional farm or a traditional store. And so that is one aspect of the parallel society is that we're building out an alternative to the food system. Now, as we expand, ideally, let's say this works and we continue, then we might have an outreach for uh, the education of the young and say homeschooling co-op that gets started. And that might morph into something and have an alternative for the education system. That would be wonderful. So if you have food, you have education, uh, there are a few other things like the medical field that are a really big deal. So, if you could have those three, you would have probably the three most important aspects of a society when it comes to, uh, I guess, everything involving a society. So, we've got the religious aspect, the community aspect, the food aspect. Hopefully, we will get that uh, education aspect under a homeschool co-op or something similar to that, maybe a PEA or something along those lines. And then we ideally would love to have some sort of medical offering as well. There are lots of practitioners that are operating under PMAs. There are plenty that offer um, direct services. So you have direct primary care where people pay a subscription. I actually do this. My family at least does this, where we pay a monthly fee and in exchange, we have unlimited doctor's visits, we can call anytime, they have after hours things where they'll come out and see us or the kids, they'll prescribe stuff to us anytime. And basically anything they can do in office is covered by that subscription. And so it's getting out of that insurance model, getting out of the hospital system as much as is reasonably possible. Now, I do not expect that we're going to have an ER in a surgery room, but if we could have say, a doctor that's operating as a direct primary care, or someone that comes in and runs a clinic once a month or once a week or something, or a chiropractor that comes in once a week and uses one of the rooms that we have there and does adjustments, or yoga instructors that come in and teach some classes, or there's all different kinds of things you could do related to health. But as we can start building that out, as we can start facilitating that, then we can start building out that aspect, again, of the parallel society. So if these things were to happen, which I know that's a big if. This is a lot of stuff that's going on here. But if it were, then we would have an alternative community, an alternative a place of worship and religion. We would have an alternative schooling system. We would have an alternative food system. We would have an alternative healthcare system. We would have alternatives to the biggest things in our current society that have the most immoralities and corruptions in them currently. And this is the parallel society. We would be able to build that out. So that's what we're trying to do. So again, we've got the community aspect. Uh, We're trying to build out that other half of it, the economy and the... Uh, the transactions that have to occur. People need goods and services. Like, How do we facilitate this in a way that works for everyone and, for me personally, is in line with my religious beliefs? And so uh, I think I have given you the rough structure of how we're doing that. And I guess with that, I'm just going to end the episode. So if you got any questions, please feel free to reach out. I know this is a lot of information. If you are coming to this fresh and you had never heard a lot of these terms before— This might sound a little crazy to you, and I understand that there's a lot there. But for those of you that are at least roughly aware of things like PMAs and 508s and things like that, then hopefully you uh, probably were able to follow uh, much easier, at least. So, uh, again, reach out if you have any questions. I've got a lot of resources. We are working on building this out. And as I do... I will try to share that information with listeners who are interested. Probably not going to post that on the podcast website or anything like that or in the show notes. But if you reach out, you're curious, you've listened to this episode, you want to know more, then email me, foundations at protonmail.com. And I don't mind keeping you in the loop. Um, I have uh, shared some things with listeners that I would not share just in general to everyone on a podcast or on a website. And so I do not mind doing so. Please feel free to reach out if you have any questions. If you're setting up something like this yourself or interested in doing so, or you know of others who have, uh, it would be wonderful to connect with you or with them and try to make some connections and do some networking among like-minded groups that are building out this parallel society. So I mentioned um, working with other people. So we have... Uh, someone that's doing a consultation for us, helping us uh, with at least the food club aspect, who has a food club. They're about four and a half hours away from us, but they have a food club. It's been operating for over a decade. They've been to court over it uh, years ago. They were taken into court by the feds and uh, beat the feds because they. the judge said they had a meaningful membership and there was prepayment involved, so they weren't actually selling anything. Those were the two things that the judge said kept them from basically being convicted of whatever it is they were brought in for so um, they have uh, beat the feds in court that's a big plus on their record and they've been in existence for it's like 14 years or something so we're actually going up there in the next few days we're gonna see how that club runs we're making some connections there hopefully we can team up on some big bulk orders and maybe if a truck is coming our way it can pass by drop off some stuff to us Go pick up some other stuff, drop that off to us, pick up stuff from us, take that up to the other food club, and maybe we can do things like that and share in the freight cost, do bigger bulk orders, those kinds of things. And so, if we can get connected with other groups, with other food clubs, is I guess how we're starting off with this, but even more and more, uh, that will be a, a huge help where it's not just this smaller, more regional, local, parallel society, although that is the most important, in my opinion. But being able to connect these various parallel societies would also have major benefits. So with that, I'm going to end here. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much, especially to the supporters who are donating money on Patreon or Subscribestar. Really appreciate that. And please feel free to reach out if you need or want anything whatsoever. And with that, I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.